You live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality, but you do not know this. When you understand this, you will see that you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. Matt, and this is the Imperfect Buddhist Podcast, where we talk about incorporating Zen Buddhism into modern daily life. This episode's going to be about peace with uncertainty and living in the gray area. I think it's important that we talk about this aspect of living and practice because our current culture is so divided politically, uh, racially, ideologically. We can hardly have conversations with our families because we can't agree upon you know, who we voted for. Our culture has a hard time with the gray area, with embracing not knowing, with embracing the truth that potentially both extremes have and share. Things are so polarized, polarized on Facebook, Twitter. We have a culture that's feeding off division right now. Which group are you in? Do you agree with me or do you agree with them? Did you vote for Trump or did you vote for Biden? Are you one of us? Are you one of them? This is just one example of one manifestation of us as humans where we want to lock into one way of thinking and there's one answer for everything. I lived in Portland, Oregon, rainy, cloudy Portland, Oregon for, I believe, about five years. If you've watched the news, you've seen buildings burning, you've seen windows being broken out. Talking to friends, they say that that's uh, actually not the case, but what you're seeing is a manifestation of an extreme position being taken and acted upon. But I bring up living in Portland because living in Portland, there's a a certain culture and a certain way of thinking, much like you would find if you lived in like a Southern state. Let's say you lived in Texas, you know, in a Republican city, there'd be kind of like a general way of looking at things, kind of an established norm when it comes to how we think about things. We as in us in this community. And if you don't think this way, then you aren't really part of this community. So, Living there, it started to rub off on me. I I had moved there when I was 18 years old, still kind of figuring out who I was. And so it wasn't really even something I had to think about. I grew up in a liberal family. My dad was very much, you know, outraged when President Bush won election, George W. Bush, George W. So it really wasn't much of a, a far reach for me when I moved to Portland. It was like kind of easy to fall into, oh, this is the way we think about things. This is the way we look at things. And in general, over the last couple of years, Through meditation and mindfulness, I've become aware of my tendency to lock into a way of looking at things. You know, so if I hear something that actually doesn't go along with the story I have in my mind, it's easy to, without awareness, get pulled into, well, this is actually the way it is, right? And to become become solid against what you're hearing, resisting it. And so through meditation and mindfulness, we're able to develop what's called in Buddhism, beginner's mind. Beginner's mind is all about what we're talking about today, which is living in that unknowing, living in that gray area, the place between the two extremes, also called the middle path. There's a quote by Shunryu Suzuki. He wrote the book Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. It's a really popular book for people interested in Buddhism and Zen Buddhism. And he has a quote that kind of illustrates what we're talking about here, which is living in the gray area, embracing the changing 
truth, the moment-to-moment truth that exists. He says, if your mind is empty, it is always ready for anything. It is open to everything. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the expert's mind, there are few. And in Soto Zen, there's a text called the 16 Bodhisattva Precepts. It's, it's kind of like the Ten Commandments of the Bible in a way, but they're not really commandments. Guidelines to help kind of You know, when you go bowling, when you're a kid and you had little bumpers that they'd put up when you threw the bowling ball and the bowling ball would bounce off and kind of go in the right direction, even if you threw it really slow. The 16 precepts are kind of like that. It's to help kind of nudge you in the right direction. And one of the 16 precepts, it says, do good for others, embrace all things and conditions, leap beyond the holy and the unholy, let us rescue ourselves together with all beings. Leap beyond the holy and the unholy. Let us rescue ourselves together with all beings. We're talking about a fundamental shift in the way that we engage with life. We've been taught to reject this, to take this, to resist inwardly. And it's not about embrace all things. Oh, someone offered me some heroin and I'm going to go take heroin or just doing whatever you want. But it's about living in a place where you can see what is, what is in that moment. You don't have to turn circles in your mind and think and think you know, you know, you know what's right. You know what's truthful in this moment to do. Now we're going a little close up. We're going to zoom in a little bit to some personal stories that illustrate, you know, the struggle of incorporating this middle path, this embracing of the gray area into pers- my personal life. So Thanksgiving was just around the corner. We all just kind of went through that. You know, we visited our families and we heaped the gravy onto the mashed potatoes and maybe drank some eggnog with bourbon, right? Is that what they drink it with? Anyways, my uncle, uncle and his wife live here in Florida. They invited us over for Thanksgiving. And my uncle and his wife probably have some of the biggest hearts, biggest heart people I know. They, I think my uncle has raised collectively three sets of children. Meaning he raised, yeah, you know, he was married previously and he raised his daughters. And then he married a woman and they had adopted children together. They raised those, that set of children. And one of his daughters had another child that she wasn't able to care for. And now he's raising that daughter. So they're, they're very loving, very caring people. But my uncle also happens to be a Republican and a very uh, vocal Republican, especially on social media. And so gatherings could go many ways with my uncle. They could be spent arguing, fighting, or maybe they would never happen because I'm too, you know, well, he doesn't know anything, right? I know everything. But that hasn't been the case because, you know, when we sit out on his patio by the pool, instead of approaching the situation like in a guarded way with all these answers in my mind about how I'm going to reject or counter what he's about to say, I just listen. Because the truth is there's things he knows that I probably don't know. And I listen to what he's saying and I I don't necessarily need to say, well, that's right or that's wrong or this is true or this is untrue in my mind. I listen to what he has to say. Sometimes there's things that come up where I'll say, oh, well, have you thought about this or how do you know that that's true? But it's not a reactive process of trying to find some security through forcing another person to see my map of the world. And that's really really what it comes down to when we become rigid in our thinking is that we that when we argue with someone, we're, we're wanting to force them into seeing something the way we see it. Because if they see something in a different way and are able to survive and be successful to thrive with that belief, then that somehow challenges our belief, our map of the world. 
well, then if he's doing it and it's right or it's working out for him, that somehow challenges my core, my identity that I've locked onto, this polarized view. Another personal story of incorporating, working to incorporate beginner's mind and the gray area into my life. Like I said, I grew up in a very Democrat kind of household. Mom and dad, very much Democrats, grew up that way. And I, and I won't name this person because it wouldn't be really fair of me to say who this person voted for. It's not really my place. But someone very close to me and someone that I know very well in my family voted for Trump this last election. When I heard this, it sent me a little bit into a spiral about you know, all the, the thoughts starting to swirl around in my head, you know, all the thoughts that you know, I have to answer these questions. You know, how, how could this person vote for this person? Do I know this person like I thought I did? And so that polarizing mind began to do its thing, right? Make me right, make them wrong. Oh, start connect the dots. Well, oh, they voted for this person and that means that they're going to do this. And this means that they believe this and wanting to categorize and, and put everything in its place, all these neat little boxes about this person I love, right? Started to categorize them, put them in these boxes. And to be honest, it was probably a couple of days before I caught my breath came back into the moment and started to see this process happening. And so setting that aside a little bit, I decided to have a conversation with this person. And would, wouldn't you know it, my easy categorization of what had happened, you know, they're being changed, they must believe all these things. Well, they voted for Trump, so they must believe all these other things. Because when I was able to become mindful and, and listen and start to investigate some of my beliefs, right, I believe this. So instead of just believing it, why don't I ask and investigate any, the validity of what I'm believing? And there wasn't actually any validity to most of it. You know, this person over the last couple of years has been surrounded by a more Republican narrative. Their partner, you know, watches a lot of Fox News and that's what's on constantly. They're not really exposed to this, the information that more liberal household would be. And I'm not saying that either one has it all right. I'm just saying that the information that this person was receiving was now beginning to form these beliefs. And so they told me, you know, Matt actually kind of made this choice out of fear. I made this choice out of fear and I regret it. And even if that person didn't regret it and they were like all gung-ho about Trump, it wouldn't be in alignment with Ginner's mind to assume anything other than what had happened, which, oh, you voted for Trump. Okay. Another recent experience, actually yesterday or the day before, in my Buddhist studies, for most of my practice, I've been doing what's called mindfulness of breathing. So I sit, you know, in this posture. I typically don't have my foot up like this. This is a new thing. But I typically, you know, sit like this and I become aware of my breathing and my mind wanders and I bring it back. And I'll do that, you know, anywhere from 15 minutes to 45 minutes. And I've been reading a book called The Art of Just Sitting, and it's about what's called shikantaza. And it, shikantaza is literally just sitting. And that means sitting down, assuming an upright posture. You might use your breathing a little bit to bring you into the moment to focus your mind. But then after that, the only instruction that's really given, other than keeping your posture and staying still, is to sit. What you're doing is you're using that focused mind to be in the present moment, to be here, to see in a kind of a soft awareness what is, what is happening, not resisting anything. It's an interesting practice because it's a little bit of a faith-driven practice because you're not really doing anything. But the effects are profound, and it may be a little bit more of an advanced practice. I don't know. But at least where I'm at in my practice, going from that mindfulness of breathing and taking that attention and then just focusing it into somewhat of a soft focus of in the moment. It's a pretty profound practice. That's all I can say.
In Zen Buddhism, they talk about there's there's no words. It's just you have to do the practice. And if it's something that you want to know about, you have to experience it yourself. So I'll leave it at that. But I've been practicing with this just sitting, which in essence is beginner's mind because you're not seeking anything. You're not trying to know anything or figure anything out. You're simply being. You're practicing just being. And practicing that, I went into work day before yesterday and I started working. I just kind of had this profound feeling of kind of confusion, being aware of it. I wasn't consumed by it. Like I wasn't turning things over in my head, but I was just in the moment and just kind of felt confused. I didn't know. Like I don't know things. We've been saving for a house and we've been really excited about it. And suddenly that just kind of felt like, like it wasn't driving me, you know? And there was that sense of this kind of confusion, kind of, you know, what direction? And typically in that situation, you know, I might start to, you know, okay, Matt, you know, start to imagine the house you want to live in. What does it look like? You know, what are you guys going to do there? You know, how beautiful is your wife going to look there in that situation? And those can be powerful. I believe, I do believe in visualization, but I also believe that there's power in embracing that feeling, you know, that's present. And who knows why that's manifesting? It could be something that I haven't felt or it, maybe it's been present. I just haven't felt it. I've resisted it. I've latched on to needing to know, needing some focus or purpose. And it's been just avoiding this sense of confusion in life, you know, this feeling of loss. And who knows why or how that's there, but that's not the job of beginner's mind. Beginner's mind is to be with what is. And there's a peace and a healing that happens when you're just with what is. And so meditation, mindfulness, and zazen really has played the biggest part in the ability to be with the unknown, to be with opposing ideas, to be with that uncertainty that we embrace, especially now as we're going through a pandemic. I don't know if you're tapped into YouTube and the real estate market, but there's ups and downs and people are afraid of what's coming. But being able to be, to when we practice meditation, when we practice sazen, mindfulness, it allows us to be in the moment and opens up the possibility to embrace just what is. I think the challenge in the practice of beginner's mind and embracing the gray areas of life, for me, I might have the opposite problem of some people. Sometimes it's very easy for me to just kind of like nod my head. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, you believe that? Like, And I don't really say much. So it'll be interesting. I think a challenge for me may be the opposite of what it could be for someone else that's very headstrong in their beliefs and has no problem voicing their opinions. So my my thing may be to in the face of potentially wrong views is coming from that place of peace with what is, coming from that place of stillness is to voice you know, what I believe the truth to be or to help maybe um, question the belief that someone has to help lead them to what maybe what they're not, maybe what their blind spot is. And so that will probably be my challenge moving forward is embracing, um, helping other people to maybe take a different vantage point on their opinion, on their view. Not right and wrong, but maybe just take a higher perspective up 
zoom out a little bit and say, hey, are you noticing that? And that's that'd be actually kind of fun for me. I like doing that kind of thing. It's time for another quick tip. But yeah, I'm going to be doing a quick tip during each of the podcasts. And this one is coming back to your breath in daily life. What I mean by that is, like we we're talking about in episode two, where I got angry and I was at work and I was hustling and bustling and doing all this stuff, is finding a way to remind yourself during those times, during the day, to just come back and become aware of the sensation of breathing. When I say the sensation of breathing, I mean the coolness on your nostrils as you inhale, or the warmth you feel in your nose and your nostrils as you exhale. It could be the expanding out of your stomach, your chest, just becoming aware of your breath, not trying to control it or hold it, just watching it. And if you can, breathe through the nose. And I'd encourage you to actually look at an app periodically throughout the day, rings a bell that reminds me to come back to the moment and come back to my present breath. You know, where am I? And the, the app is called Chill, C-H-I-L-L. I got it on iPhone I don't know if it's available on Android. You can check it out. But there's other apps out there. If you type in mindfulness reminder bell or something like that, and you can set it up to just ring throughout the day to remind you to come back to your breath, your body in the present moment. This episode is a little bit, the challenge I've experienced during this episode is a little bit similar to the last two, which is what Brene Brown calls FFT, fucking first time. <laughs> and that just means like doing this kind of thing is new to me. I have ha had some experience in front of a camera, but it's not really something I do that often. So, you know, translating these stories into something in front of a camera, it's always a little bit awkward. And also I think honing in on what my message is for the episode, I'm still learning how to focus and to find the right way to share what I'm wanting to share. I encourage you, if you enjoyed this episode, if you'd like to be notified when new ones are out, if you'd just like to follow the podcast and like the episode, it helps me to reach more people and helps share Zen Buddhism and mindfulness with more people. So I thank you for stopping in and I appreciate sharing this time with you. And I encourage you, if you have any questions, please send me a message. I would love to talk to you and I hope you have a wonderful day.